Welcome to Mock 10 Sports. I'm glad you could join us on this episode. And really, it's a preview. Because if you saw my teaser on Twitter, any of our social media platforms, you knew we were coming out with an SEC basketball preview. And if you're listening to it, if you're listening to me right now, you're in the right spot. Because we're about to preview the 2022-2023 SEC men's basketball preview here. About to preview the season Give you in-depth 1 through 14 rankings. Give you some player of the year candidates who I think will win it. Some candidates. And then we'll go to coach of the year. Uh, just some good stuff coming through here. We'll look into some schedules a little bit. We're just going to kind of play off right here. I'm a, it's going to be a real casual thing. I'm going to talk talk out loud about some schedules. Just kind of see where I think some teams uh, come in and out of this conference. A lot of new coaches in the league. But I think there's some really there's five real teams that can compete day in day out, night in night out in the country. And I think you got two real teams that can compete for a national title and ultimately hoist the trophy in Houston come April. But but let's get to it. I mean, just talking about the conference in general a little bit. This conference in basketball has improved tremendously over the past three to four years. The SEC finished as the second best conference in the country last season, according to Ken Palm. That is a compliment to the coaches in this league, in my opinion. And there are five new coaches that are at six different programs right now, if you count Mike White. Now, if you remember, Mike White was the University of Florida's coach, took over for Billy Donovan. Mike White left Florida this past year to go to Georgia. So this is his first year at Georgia. But again, five new coaches at six different programs. Uh, If you include Mike White, I'm keeping him in the league. Obviously, he has familiarity from being at Florida. But he is at a new place. Also, credit these coaches. They have brought in some elite talent and athleticism that is littered throughout this league. We already know what Coach Calipari does at Kentucky. But I'm talking about Eric Musselman bringing in talent. You got Bruce Pearl is always bringing in talent. You got Rick Barnes is starting to bring in some talent. And you got Nate Oates at Alabama starting to bring in elite talent. I mean, Arkansas and Alabama both finished second and third in the team rankings in college basketball recruiting last year. So that tells you something. Uh, also, the the length in this league, I, I, I mentioned it just a second ago, is something that just stands out. It looks like a bunch of, of the, if you're a college basketball junkie like myself growing up watching it, you'll remember how long and athletic and big some of those Big East, those old Big East teams used to be before they split up the conference. I'm talking about when like UConn was in the Big East, Syracuse was in the Big East, uh, I mentioned you, you. Notre Dame was good back then. You had Georgetown was good back then. Providence, teams like that, just scrappy, long, athletic teams that that played good defense, defended you well. It was just a good league. Always fun to watch those Big East tournaments at Madison Square Garden. But back to the SEC. I mean, nine. Going back to recruiting for a minute. Let's go back to that. Talking about the prospects. Nine out of the top 25 prospects in the 2022 class are competing in the conference, in the SEC this year, and nine of those players and those nine players are at six different programs. So, so let me repeat that. So the t- out of the top 25 prospects in the 2022 recruiting class in college basketball this past year, nine of them will be playing in the SEC this year. And out of those nine, they're at six different programs. The league is more talented than it's ever been, and if they can get two to three more teams to play up to its potential this year, I think it'll be, no doubt, the best conference in the best conference in the entire country. Um, I haven't been this excited about an SEC basketball season in a long time. Back when I was at school at Alabama, the SEC was not very good. It really wasn't. You had Florida was in their midst with Billy Donovan. They were, I mean, back when I was in college, and they were getting two, three teams, four max. Now, I mean, I'm sitting here, I'd be shocked if the SEC wasn't getting seven. It were six, and they have an upside to probably get eight or nine. But it's amazing how far this team has come. And again, that's a compliment to the coaches, the personalities in this league, and then also the ability to recruit in this league. And they're bringing in long athletic guys that can defend and also can fill up the basket from beyond the arc and bring some offense to this league as well. But let's get right into it. Let's get right into it real fast. Let's pull up some things. Uh, starting off, I'm going to rank them 1 through 14. I'll start off with the number one team in the country. Let's let's do that. Um, and then we'll look at some schedules a little bit, talk about some non-con. But leading off, who I think will win the league, the Kentucky Wildcats. Ken Palm, who if you don't know is a big analytics database, big analytics uh, ranking system 
that people keep up with in college basketball. He consistently ranks teams in the preseason throughout the, throughout the season. And it's just an easy way for people to track. Uh, and I'm reading it right here. Kim Pomeroy is the guy who runs Kim Pom. I know who he is. Just reading him for the audience, though. Kim Pomeroy is the creator of the college basketball website, Statistical Archive Kim Pom. His website includes basketball, college basketball ratings, statistics for every NCAA men's Division One basketball team, with archives dating back to the 2002 season. Uh, it's just he has his own formula. In short, Ken Palm provides additional tempo-free metrics that allow college basketball analysts, fans, and teams new way to just evaluate how good their teams overall. A lot of people look into it. It's a good way to project where you're sitting come uh, those quad one, two, three, four wins, how you set going in the tournament. He's one of the more accurate guys. So that's what we're going to roll with here because I trust what he's going to do. And speaking of Ken Palm, you're going to hear me say that a lot. They have He has Kentucky rolling into this 2022-2022-2023 season, coming in preseason one. Uh, he has them predicted to finish 25-6 and six overall and 14-4 and four in the conference. Kentucky's coming off two seasons in a row where it's just underachieved the expectations of the Big Blue Nation of the Kentucky basketball program. And they went 9-16 and 16 in 2020, the COVID year. And then they had the first, the obvious that everybody knows about the first round exit to St. Peter's last year. The reigning national player of the year, Oscar Sheway, is back for a senior season. Cal convinced him that he could come improve his game closer to the perimeter from a put the ball down on the floor standpoint and also develop an outside shot. That's where Sheboy, I think, could get a little better. I agree with Cal on that. But him coming back is huge. That, that's big. I mean, this is the first time the uh defending Naismith National Player of the Year has came back, I think, since Tyler Hansbrough when he played at North Carolina came back. Um, so that'll be interesting. That'll be real exciting for the league. One of the better players in the country, obviously, coming back will be a big difference, get a lot of eyes on this league. The Cats also get back Severe Wheeler, who if he can develop a perimeter shot, which I was saying last year, will only help the rest of the Kentucky offense. The Cats are going to be good. There's no doubt about it. But how good will depend on Wheeler's ability to make outside shots and if he can defend on the perimeter because he's a little undersized and with the bigger guards in this league can kind of take advantage of his size. Then also you add in the development of three young guys in freshman, Cason Wallace, Chris Livingston, and then Jacob Toppin apparently has been a gym rat uh, in the offseason, getting in at 7 a.m., not leaving until 7 o'clock at night. So Cal, you can tell, pretty excited, fired up about this team. Uh, and Kentucky has a high ceiling as always, but this is a team I think that has a lot back, their best player back, and they're coming off a little pissed off uh, after the last two years' performances, specifically last year underachieving in the tournament, losing to St. Peter's. If you don't think that left a bad taste in the Wildcats and Coach Cal's mouth, I, I don't know what to tell you. I I've gone back and forth with who would win the league. I trust Kentucky more, so that's what I'm going to roll with them. But just looking at their schedule a little bit, they play Gonzaga at a conference, uh, Kim Palm has them losing that game right now, though. 78-77, 44% chance of winning. They'll play Michigan at a conference. They'll play UCLA. Obviously play Louisville. They're, I saw people were kind of fired up about the Indiana series starting back up. That would not be this year. Uh, also, early in the year. Sorry, third game of the year. November 15th, Kentucky plays Michigan State in that Champions Classic. So it'll be interesting. And then obviously they got the league play, which will be tough enough in itself. So some good non-con games with Michigan State, Gonzaga, Michigan, UCLA, and Louisville for the Cats. So, but again, uh, Kim Pomeroy has the Cats uh, finishing 25 and 6 overall, 14 and 4. It's preseason number one. They're my preseason number one in the SEC. I just think they get it done this year. You can't bet against the Naismith National Player of the Year and Oscar Shibway. Uh, like everything the Cats are doing, it's just it's it's going to be consistent consistency about winning in this league this year, the regular season. Uh, and I think the Wildcats actually have that. Uh, and that's why I like the Kentucky Wildcats to uh, win the SEC this year. Moving on, next team, Eric Musselman and his Razorbacks, the Arkansas Razorbacks, coming in at Ken Palm, the number 14 team in the country. Ken Palm has them finishing 20-8 and eight and 11-7 and seven in the SEC. Uh, Eric Musselman, what can you say about him? Eric Musselman and the Arkansas basketball team are officially one of the premier programs in college basketball right now, especially after back-to-back -back Elite Eight appearances. The Hogs bring in 11 newcomers, though, into the program, but they signed the number two class in the country, so the talent's going to be all over this roster. NBA GMs and personnel staffers will frequent Arkansas games this year. 
Just must do his typical play a lot of guys in non-conference play, let them struggle, let them get their feet wet early in the season, only to narrow it down to a, a true six, seven-man rotation come middle of conference play. I think he does because he's had success the last two years with it. Remember, this team started off 0-3 in conference play last year and won 10 straight. Uh, so Muslin's not scared to take his lumps early, but as long as his team's rolling towards the end of the year, playing their best ball at the end of the year, that's what he really wants, and they've proven they've done that the last two years. Um, the real issue for Musselman will be how does he handle the egos? There's a lot of talent on this team. There's not that many spots for playing time. You got the twins, Makai Mitchell, Mikel Mitchell, and Jalen Graham are all going to want to play major minutes after transferring in, but where will those minutes come from? Mikel is more of an inside presence than Makai, and Graham is probably the best offensive weapon out of the bunch out of those three and able to isolate, make plays down there on the block. But if the Missouri transfer, remember the Trevon Brazel kid is expected to start and Walsh is going to see uh, significant time at the five. How many minutes is there really going to be to go around between those three, between Mitchell, Grant, the two Mitchell twins and Graham? It's, it's three talented players that are not guaranteed to be getting many minutes, especially with how Musselman plays once he gets in the thick of SEC play. Managing those egos when you have a roster that already knows and likes each other is hard enough. Doing so while bringing 11 new faces into the program is an immensely difficult balancing act. But Muss has been pro- he's proven he's been able to do it before. Again, I like the talent on this team. They're probably the most talented t- team top to bottom in the league, even Kentucky. But they're young, a lot of newcomers, 11 newcomers. I like them to finish second in the league. I could see them starting off struggling a little early. But again, Ken Palm has them at 14th. I've seen some teams have them, some people have them in top 10. So obviously Ken Palm isn't completely sold. But he has them finishing 20-8, and 11-7 in the conference. Let's roll to the Razorback schedule just real fast, go over some out-of-conference games for you. So they'll play Louisville. I believe they're in the Maui Invitational where they open up with Louisville. Then, you know, there's it just depends how far you go and if you win or lose to see who you play next um they'll play oklahoma at a conference and they'll play south dakota state not an overly tough non-conference for the arkansas team this year they'll, they'll get a lot of their uh challenges in maui probably but other than that not a lot they play both north dakota state south dakota state louisville oklahoma and like i said in maui so it'll be interesting but again i got the hogs finishing second in the league i like the razorbacks uh overall roster highest ceiling in the league in my opinion like i said most talented highest ceiling a little bit lower of a floor than Kentucky overall. Moving to three. This may surprise some people. Number three, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Kim Palm has them preseason number 18. He has them projected right now finishing 18-11 and 11 and 10-8 and 8 in conference play. The Tide finished 19-14 and 14 overall last year. Felt like a real disappointment, especially with how they started with wins over Gonzaga and Houston. But it was the second best season in the last 16 years for this program, if you want to be honest. So it just kind of shows you how NATO has the program rolling in recruiting and on the floor. I mean, let's be honest. This league has gotten better significantly over the past three or four years, and Nate Oates has seen it firsthand. He has sw- Back in COVID year in 2020-2021, he swept the SEC regular season, won the SEC tournament, made it to the Sweet 16, and he made back-to-back tournaments uh, in his first three seasons. And if you want to get real technical, he's made the tournament every year possible. If you remember his first year, Bama probably wasn't going to make the tournament that year. But the SEC, they were on the bubble heading into the SEC tournament, a little bit further down the bubble. They were going to have to probably make it to Saturday or Sunday, Saturday at the least. But they still had a chance. Tournament got canceled. So he technically never had a chance. So his last two years, he's made the tournament every time he has. I mean, you go back, I mean, it took Bruce Pearl four years. I understand Auburn was a mess when he got there. Nothing against Bruce, but it took him four years to make his first tournament. It took Rick Barnes three years at Tennessee to make his first tournament. And our guy, who I think is a really good coach, unfortunately got fired this past year, Frank Martin at South Carolina only made the tournament once in 10 years. Now, granted, it was a Final Four run, but he still only made it one time out of 10 years. So it just shows you how tough it is to consistently make the tournament. Bama's done it back-to-back years in the eights and in the, in the, in the Oats uh, era. Just, but there's a lot of new faces on this team. Now, a lot of new players. Seven new players, only four returners that actually played last year. Defense is going to have to improve this year if Bama's going to want to improve. And I think Nate Oates has done everything he can to address that. He's going to have the depth this year, though, to hold that over players' head. He's going to have the playing time to hold over players' heads this year, where if they're not playing defense, they're going to come sit next to him. Like last year with a few guys, probably like Keon Ellis, Jaden Shackelford, a couple guys like that, you couldn't really hang uh, playing time over their head because you had to play them because they were some of your better players. But they were looking 
more from an individualistic standpoint, you've heard Oates say it, how they can improve their draft stock more so than actually helping the team. Another guy I'm excited about, I think an under-the-radar SEC Player of the Year guy for Bama, is going to be freshman from Nashville, Tennessee, Brandon Miller. He's going to be the perimeter guy that Alabama's been waiting for. will be the best offensive player easily. His ability to create shots on his own. Uh, I think he can play at all levels, can play on the perimeter down low, can handle the ball. Kind of similar to Herb Jones, but with a better offensive overall uh, standpoint tools where he's going to be able to thrive in this NATO up-tempo system. Uh, like I said, he can play the one through four positions from all the sources, reports going. Guy's been consistently putting up double-doubles, 20-plus points, and everything you hear from going back to the Spain tour and even the scrimmage against TCU a couple weeks ago. I, I, what I like about this team is Bama has some depth built up. I think they went and addressed the defensive issues, effort issues. Not really effort. I'm exaggerating that. But really, the defensive issues from last year. I like the overall camaraderie of this team. I think they're going to have really good guard play with Sears and another freshman, the 25th player in the country, the point guard from IMG, Jaden Bradley. Like, Bama's going to have some guys, transfers coming in from St. Bonaventure, or Dominic Welch. I think they're going to have some guys. I think Noah Gurley gets better this year. And then I think it got steps up for Bama when we talk about it at the end of the year, Charles Bediaco. I was a little I was a little harsh on Chuck at the beginning of his freshman year when I saw Bama play in person in Orlando last year. He seemed a little soft. But he, he played well in big games against their best competition, against uh, Tulu Smith at Mississippi State, against Oscar Sheebway last year. Uh, had a really good game against Gonzaga and Drew Timmy. Held his own against the best competition. Chuckney's, I think he's put on 20, 25 pounds. I like, I like Charles Bediaco to improve this year. I like Bama's upside. I think they're going to move up significantly. I like them finishing third. Let's look at the schedule, though. We got the Bama schedule pulling up right here. Bama, again, doesn't mess around non-conference-wise. Longwood, be a solid uh, non-conference opening team. Liberty, not a bad team. They'll open up in that uh, PK-10 tournament. In uh, Portland, Oregon, Alabama will go open up with Michigan State and play the winner of, uh, I believe, UConn and Oregon after that, winner or loser out of that. They get Houston on the road, who I think could easily win the national championship this year. Probably my preseason national championship pick, Houston at Houston. Houston will be pissed off about their loss last year. Memphis comes to Alabama. Bama gets Gonzaga in Birmingham, and then conference play starts. And again, Bama plays South Dakota State. Bama plays a tough schedule, and NATO likes to do that, whether you believe in it or not. Uh, I could see Bama starting out a little slow, but I think by the time conference play, middle of conference play, end of the year comes, Bama's going to be the opposite of what they were last year and playing really well. Uh, moving on to my fourth team, the Auburn Tigers. Uh, Kim Palm has Auburn ranked number 13th overall in preseason projection, finishing 21-9 and and 11-7 and in conference. And to be honest, if you want to know why the SEC has become arguably the best basketball league in the country, it's the rise of the perennial doormat into a champion. I mean, Auburn. I mean, Auburn, five, six years ago, was a horrific team. It played on Wednesday night of the SEC tournament. Now they're consistently competing for championships in this league year in, year out. Like, imagine how good the Big East would be if DePaul turned into the Windy City Villanova type that Villanova has in uh, Philadelphia. It'd be something like that. So Auburn, but I think Auburn's going to go as far as their backcourt takes them this year. There's some inconsistencies last year with Wendell Green, Katie Johnson, and Zeb Jasper. They were way too inconsistent last year and turned the ball over quite often. Auburn had the year they had last year due to having the best overall offensive player night in, night out, and the best overall defensive player night in, night out. Bruce Pearl could roll his team out last year and know every time they stepped on the floor, they were going to be the best team. He had the best player on offense in the game and the best player on defense. And Auburn is going to, I think, be solid and not lose as much as they think, but you're just not going to replace that. It's going to come down to guard play. Wendell Green can hit the tough clutch threes at times, but he thinks he's Steph Curry when in reality he was only a 27.7% shooter from beyond the arc in league play last year. Katie Johnson's their energizer bunny and will play good defense. Picks up some hustle plays. He'll dive on floors, bring energy, especially at home. But even he gets out of control, forces up bad shots, turns it over at times. Then Zepp Jasper is probably their most consistent shooter, ball defender, but is easily the least talented out of the group. With that being said, if he's the most consistent guy for you if you're Auburn, it's a little scary in your bat in your backcourt. I think Auburn's front court can be a little better than people uh, think after watching their uh, Israel tour. I think Janai Broom, uh, the transfer from Moorhead State, will be solid for him. And I think the LSU D commit, Yoan Treor, the fr the French transfer, from, he's from France, came over, was originally going to LSU, but when Will Wade, all that stuff broke out, he decided to go to Auburn. 
I think he's going to give them a nice presence down there. But they're just not going to replace Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler. Nothing wrong with that. But Broom, like I said, one of the top mid-major transfers in the country. Traor, a top recruit, was going to really help LSU. Auburn's glad to have him. And then you have also guys like Alan Flanagan, who could be a major X factor and really push Auburn to compete for the SEC title if he comes back and gets back into his kind of 2020-2021 self. They got freshman Chance Westry. Both those guys could be X factors to see how good Auburn could ultimately end up. Let's look at Auburn's schedule. Again, I have them finishing fourth in the league. Auburn schedule at a conference, nothing too crazy. Um, let's see. I mean, they get Memphis just like Alabama does. They go to L.A., play USC, and play Washington. So they're going on a little West trip as they play those two games back-to-back. Interesting. USC and at Washington. Um, open up with George Mason, South Florida. I think they're at a neutral tournament, maybe starting off with Bradley. I, I know they're in some conference tournament coming up, uh, preseason tournament. But Auburn didn't really load up non-con. Their biggest threats probably – that West Coast trip to USC and Washington. But again, I have the Tigers finishing fourth in the league. Kim Palm thinks they finished 13th, 21-9 and overall, and 11-7. and Moving to fifth, the Tennessee Volunteers, Rick Barnes and his squad. Kim Palm has them finishing fifth in the country, 23-6 and and 13-5 and in conference. Kim Palm really likes these guys. Rick Barnes and the Tennessee program are one of the best developmental programs in the country, or sorry, in the league, in my opinion, and you could say in the country. They do the best of bringing in developmental guys that fit their system what they want and mix them in with some of the one-and-done type of talents. The Vols are one of the best defensive teams in the league and have finished in the top six defensively three times in the past five years. The Vols are culture guys. they got guys like Josiah, Jordan Adams, Zakai Ziegler, and Santiago Viscovi all back. This team's going to go as far as those three take them. The Vols, though, to me, I like Ziegler and I like Viscovi, but there's no like Kennedy Chandler like they had last year. No real dude, no real pro. I don't know if they have just a real pro guy on the offensive end. That's why I have them fifth. They're probably a little uh, lower than some, than some have them. Some may say a little higher is fifth. But, I mean, I have them – I'm not as high on them as I should say – if some people are, I mean, look how Kim Palm has them ranked. I, I'm just waiting for a real pro kind of guy. I feel like they got a lot of their cultural fix guy, fits, a lot of guys they've developed playing for Tennessee, but no real guys that can kind of just take over a game, which, hey, they play really good defense. They have four starters back, guys that have been in the program. That carries game in, game, in, game out when you're getting in the midst of an SEC schedule. So you got to like that on that standpoint. But again, they're going to be a good defensive squad. There's no doubt about it. Julian Phillips has a chance to be that pro guy, though, for him and push Tennessee over the edge for me. But I think at the end of the day, though, this program is not ultimately going to get the national respect it does until it gets past that first weekend of the NCAA tournament. It really doesn't matter what they do in the regular season anymore. They've done damn near everything they could do in the regular season. And I think Tennessee fans and even myself are fine. I like Rip Barnes. I like Rip Barnes a lot and love what he does with the program. But I think they're never going to really get that national stigma off their back until they make a sweet, sweet 16. And until he does that, I think they're still just going to be sticking with, oh, regular season Rick, here he goes. Uh, they won't make it out of the first or second round. I, I think this year could be the year they do because they have a veteran team that's played a lot together in defense travels and guard play travels in the NCAA tournament. I just don't think they're going to finish as high in the regular season as people think. Uh, let's go to the Tennessee schedule. Look who they play at a conference. Let's go to it. Again, they play Colorado at a conference, Maryland, Arizona, um, not re- Butler, not not really any juggernauts at a conference before they get in a con- uh, before they get in a conference play. But some solid teams: Florida, Gulf Coast, uh, Tennessee. Again, I think that's why Kim Palm has their overall record being so good. It's not an overly tough non-conference schedule. But we'll see how they pan out. Again, I have them finishing fifth. Me and Kim Palm, probably one of our bigger disagreements here. But again, I like the Vol. I like the Vol's consistency. I just don't like the overall upside compared to some other teams in the league. Moving to sixth, the Texas A&M Aggies. Kim Palm has them coming in at number 45th. He has them finishing 17 and 12 overall and 8 and 10 in the league. Texas A&M has had one of the weirder last two seasons overall, if you go back and look, going back to the COVID season and last year. During the 2020-21 COVID season, which I just discussed, they dealt with a ton of issues from a COVID standpoint. They didn't play many games. 
And then last year, they started 4-0 in conference and then proceeded to lose 8 straight and 9 out of 10 before getting hot and making a run to su- making a run to Sunday in the SEC Championship title game. Probably should have honestly made the tournament. And if I remember right, they did finish and lost in the, nat- in the NIT Championship game. So they got hot at the end of the year. They started off hot in conference play, finished strong, but in the middle, they lost 8 straight and 9 out of 10. And their COVID year is weird. Um they bring back four out of five starters and three of their top four scorers from last year. Does this team really have any true pros, though, on it as well? I, I, I lean towards no. They're similar to Tennessee, but Tennessee's more talented. They're going to have to try and negate what the rest of the league does really well, Texas A&M is. They're going to have to try to negate what everyone else in the league does really well, and that's overcome other teams' athleticism and overall length because that's what they lack. Uh, the, the Ags are going to have to fix their defensive rebounding issues as well. So overall, they're going to be, last year they were horrific defensive rebounding teams. Teams got numerous second chance baskets. But overall, they're going to be limited compared to who they play, especially in this league when they roll the ball out each night. From an athletic and length standpoint, I think that'll come back to bite them. But I do like the consistency coming back with four starters. Um... I do think this will be an NCAA tournament team, but I don't think they're going to be able to consistently keep up with the longer athletic teams. Again, consistent team that's improved defensive rebounding. Buzz Williams went and addressed that. He knew who he had to go get, and he added some help through the portal that I think will help them not be as bad on the defensive boards. And honestly, if they weren't as bad, they probably won two or three more games during their tournament last year. And I'll be honest with you, the end of the year last year, I didn't want to play Texas A&M. So again, that's a little... Ken Palm has them finishing 17 and 12, 8 and 10 in conference. I have them finishing sixth in the league. Let's go to the Aggie schedule real quick. At a conference, they got a big a Murray State uh, mid-major game they got to play against. Boise State, Oregon State, Memphis. Feels like a lot of teams in conference play Memphis. I saw Alabama, Auburn, and now Texas A&M does. Um, and that's really it. Again, I mean, it's kind of crazy. Texas A&M didn't really play a tough schedule this year, and that was the thing that got them left out of the tournament. So I don't really get that. Whoever, whatever coach or staffer on their staff, I'm sure, got it down from Buzz Williams. But you would think that'd be one of the things they would have addressed. And I know they do these preseason tournaments years in advance, so you can't control that. But man, you got to go schedule some uh, solid non-conference teams because, like, again, in basketball, there's there's some good losses. As crazy as that sounds, you never want to lose, but. Texas A&M gets kept out of the tournament again because of their lack of schedule. That's on that staff at that point. So a little disappointed in the scheduling there. But, again, I have the Aggies finishing sixth in the conference, um, and I like what Buzz Williams is doing at Texas A&M. Moving on, number seven, the Florida Gators. Kim Palm has them finishing 33rd in the country, 17-12 and 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 9-9 in league play. Todd Golden. Came over from San Francisco. This will be his first season in Gainesville after leaving the Bay Area and the San Francisco program to head to the SEC. He is a Bruce Pearl disciple. He's somewhat familiar with this league as he was an assistant at Auburn under Bruce Pearl and Bruce Pearl's early years at Auburn. Golden's a big analytics guy and truly trusted numbers. He has real close relationships with a lot of basketball media members. A lot of those media members, from what I hear, feel like they get a lot of access to him. So you'll see, if you keep up with basketball nationally, he'll get a lot of love from the writers, which he seems like a good guy from a distance. Big analytics guy. He trusted a lot. But moving to their personnel, the Gators' best player currently is, hands down, Colin Castleton. Would not be, but he's not an ideal fit in the perfect Todd Golden system. But if Todd Golden is who he is, Analytics be damned. Colin Castlin gives you one of the better post guys, if not a top two or three post guy in the league. Like he is one of the best ones. A chance to be an All SEC guy for you. You got to utilize him. Um, but because he, I mean, look at that. I'm looking at this stat right here. He raises your two point field goal percentage in a very big way, and you and he gives you a presence down low. Like I was saying, the guy is a last year almost single handedly put Florida on his back at times. And reading some interviews, Golden has claimed he trusts Castleton from beyond the arc because Golden likes people, all these versatile guys who can shoot beyond the arc, which to me, you're playing him a little out of position because Castleton is 0 for 17 from beyond the arc. And Golden's saying preseason, he's giving Castleton the green light to shoot from beyond the arc. When this guy gets a lot of second chance baskets down low, solid two point 
field goal percentage guy. Like, I don't want him shooting threes. He's never made one in his college career. So if I'm rolling into this season in 2022-2023 SEC basketball season, and I'm seeing Colin Castleton shooting a bunch of threes, I'm going to wonder and really question Todd Golden. So it'll be interesting if that changes. Just wanted to bring that up. But Golden is going to go with a four-round one type of system like I'm talking about. Castleton doesn't really fit that. To take advantage of his other nine roster spots with their athleticism and length. They feel like they got good depth. The Gator had, The Gators have real upside. They have a good point guard in Kyle Lofton and a really good number five, like we mentioned in Castleton. Other than that, though, they have three to four, I'd call, three and D type of players that have the potential to shoot from long range and defend at a high level. And when I say a three and D type player, I mean the long, rangy, lengthy guys that can defend at a high level, but also can fill up the basket and make shots from beyond the arc. It's kind of what the NBA and that's kind of what the college game's going to. People want some versatile guys that can play those one through three and even sometimes one through four for some guys. But those guys who can defend at a high level, but also shoot from beyond the arc. And Florida's got about three or four of those guys. And the key word for me for Florida would be potential. They are the team, and I think the word potential in this league this year, this is them. Florida could finish in the top three or four in the league. I don't think they have enough in it for the first year to have to win it. But don't be shocked if Florida's anywhere from a four to five seed come uh, March on Selection Sunday. They got that upside, but a lot of unproven upside too. If two to three of those guys I just named started talking about step up, Florida could finish much higher in seventh, like I just said, in this league. I do like the Gators this year. I do think they'll be a tournament team. Let's run over their schedule. So Florida will play Florida State this year. Um, they play UConn. They get Oklahoma. It's another SEC team. It plays, Oklahoma plays, Auburn, uh, I believe, Auburn, or sorry, Arkansas, Alabama, and now Florida, if I remember correctly. So no, nothing loaded. Stetson's usually a decent team. Xavier is a good mid-major team out of the A-10. So Florida's got a decent schedule. Uh, but again, I got them finishing seventh in the league. Uh, Kim Palm likes them as well. He's got them finishing 33rd overall, 17-12 and 12 in the regular season, and 9-9 nine and nine in conference's projection. But again, I like Florida's potential. They're the team. That's the word that kind of comes to mind with this team. I do think Todd Golden will get them to the dance, though, come March. Moving into my eighth team, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Kim Palm has them coming in at 53rd overall, 16-13, and 13, and 8-10 and 10 in the league is his projection. Chris Jans is coming into his first season again. I told you we've got a lot of new coaches in this league, and Mississippi State's one. Chris Jans is coming into his first season after a good tenure at New Mexico State. Let's be honest. This program isn't in shambles in Starville. Ben Hallen, who unfortunately got let go his past season, may have underachieved some, but he did not leave Mississippi State's program in a bad spot in Starville. I mean, they were they were a top 70 Ken Palm team in his last five seasons. They were always just kind of fringe bubble, a couple wins away from making the tournament. At the end of the day, he just had to make a change, but they aren't bad. Left him some good players. I mean, Tolu Smith is back, and he's the best player on the team. But he needs to expand his game some, though, and not just be an eight-foot scorer around the rim. Also, they got Memphis transfer, who's highly ranked, DJ Jeffries. Jeffries. It's his time to step up. It's now or never. And provide he at least needs to provide quality minutes for Mississippi State and be one of the better teams in the league or one of the better players on the team. But I do think this team does have NCAA, double, NCAA tournament quality talent. And this isn't a complete rebuild, as I mentioned. I think Ben Holland was an above average coach and, the, and he fell and he fielded solid teams year in, year out. Chris Jans is known around the country, though, to be a guy that gets more out, more with, more out of less. If he can work a little magic this year. The dogs could be dancing. They're a sleeper team, in my opinion. Let's go look at their schedule. So they, another weak schedule here, similar to Texas A&M's. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, Akron, Arkansas Pine Bluff, South Dakota, Marquette's a tough game, Nebraska, Omaha, Mississippi Valley State, Minnesota, Nickel State, and Drake before conference play. I do not want to hear from Mississippi State or Texas A&M if they're on the bubble and get left out. I don't want to hear it. They didn't go schedule very. They didn't go schedule a strong non-conference. Which again, not going back to Texas A&M. We previewed them, but it's just baffling because they missed the tournament last year because of that. Mississippi State. Uh, maybe Chris Jans had an understanding. Hey, this league's going to be tough this year. We need to slowly uh, throw our guys into the deep end, let them get comfortable before uh, we take our lumps in the league. So to each his own. But again, I got Mississippi State finishing eighth. Uh, again, Kim Palm has them finishing 53rd overall, 16 and 13 record-wise, and 8 and 10 in the league. Go to my ninth team, the LSU Tigers. Kim Palm has them coming surprisingly in at 30th preseason, 18 and 11 overall as projection, and 8 and 10 in the league. 
Let's go back in time a little bit. The date was April 1st, and new head coach Matt McMahon, who just came over from Murray State, was on his 10th day of the job, and guess how many players he had on his current roster? Yeah, that would be the big donut. The answer is zero. So on April 1st, LSU had no kids on the roster. 11 guys had come and gone either to go into the NBA or the transfer portal. McMahon had to scour the transfer portal more than any other coach, staff in the league, or country just to field a team. He brought in six transfers, four freshmen, and three returnees are, pro- are playing for a new staff. To say there will be a learning curve for everyone involved is an understatement this year in Baton Rouge. LSU has no chance of being successful, though, if these Murray State transfers that he brought in, guys like Justice Hill and K.J. Williams, aren't impact players in this league. They could, but also there's going to be a major step up in the conference they just came from. The positive is these guys understand the system and know what Coach McMahon wants. I have literally zero expectations for this team. This is one of those teams that I'm just kind of like, wouldn't shock me if they made the tournament. Wouldn't shock me if they were playing on Wednesday night at the SEC tournament. Uh, but something tells me they overachieve. I'm just going to go with a gut feeling here. In the new era of college basketball, it's easier to get your roster back. If this was back in the day and they lost that many guys, this I mean, you'd be talking about LSU would be very similar to how Auburn was from like 2007 to 2013 and 14. I mean, you can't replace all that. But now with the portal, McMahon just brought his – Murray State team with him, and they're going to go play up a level this year. Essentially, that's what it is. But let's look at the LSU Tigers. Let's look at the Tigers' schedule. Click on it real fast for you. Um, Wake Forest, Winthrop could be a solid match. Again, not not a lot of great non-conference schedule. No one's close to Alabama's non-conference schedule. So you look at that, and you're like, geez. But now you got some disappointing non-conference schedule. I guess, I, I'm assuming a lot of these staffs just assume the conference is just going to be a bloodbath and teams are just going to beat up on each other. So why not take a bunch of losses? But, hey, Nate Oates didn't get that message. But, again, not, again, not a lot of great schedule right here. Wofford, UT Arlington, like I said, Wake Forest, Winthrop, New Orleans, Arkansas State before they get into conference play. Not a great slate right there for LSU. But, again, I got the Tigers finishing ninth. I literally have no expectations with this. This team could finish maybe a couple spots higher, seventh, or they could be in the 11, 12, 13 range. It wouldn't shock me. A lot of unknowns with Matt McMahon and his first LSU Tiger team, but I'm excited to see it. Moving to my 10th team, the Ole Miss Rebels. Ken Palm has them coming in at 49th preseason. He has them finishing the year as of this moment at 16-13 and 13 and 8-10 and in the league. After getting to the NCAA tournament in his first year, Kermit Davis has been on somewhat of a decline, I'd say. The Rebels have probably been the most injury-ridden team in the league the last two years. I mean, if you were on the Ole Miss basketball team walking around Oxford last year, you better be in a bubble or a bodysuit because you were due to get hurt. Either ACLs or hands were being broken. Uh, but they do get back Dacian Ruffin, who is an electric point guard who's coming off two different injuries, his hand and ACL, along with Jarkel Joyner, who is never the same after his back surgery last year. If if Ruffin, if Dacian Ruffin can stay healthy, and I've been telling people this, by the time conference play starts, the Rebs have a chance to be one of the more underrated backcourts, not just in this conference, but in the country. The issue for the Rebs will be the lack of proven production at this level in the front court. They brought in some transfers from lower levels, but their front court will be crucial. Kermit is adamant this group will be better, but it will be counting on some guys that are either coming off injury, transferring up a level, or they're playing as true freshmen in a really good SEC this year. The most intriguing piece that they brought into me is the Jackson State transfer, Javius McKinnis, who comes to Oxford after being named the SWAC Defensive Player of the Year three times in a row. I don't care what level that is. If you were winning the Defensive Player of the Year in your conference three years in a row, you have something going. That doesn't happen by accident. So to be fair to Coach Davis, they struggled on defense. They had some injuries, but he went and fixed the things he could control and went and got one of the better defensive mid-major uh, guys out there three years in a row. Geez, that's, that's incredible. Javius McKinnis. So be on the lookout from him from a defensive player standpoint next year. The Rebs could also use a guy like Jamin Brakefield, who transferred from Duke last year, but he got injured. He needs to step up this year. But ultimately, the season hinges on Dacian Ruffin, and if the Rebels can improve defensively where they finished outside of the top 300 in two-point percentage defense last year. Have to improve defense if the Rebs want to have any chance of making the tournament this next year. Let's look at the Ole Miss schedule. So Ole Miss will get UT Chat coming here at a conference. Hmm. Stanford, solid game. Memphis, that's another SEC team playing Memphis. Uh, UCF comes here, Temple, and they get in the conference play. So not, not as bad as some other teams. Some solid uh, mid-major uh, non-conference games for the Rebs. But I do have the Rebs finishing 10th. Again, Kim Palm has them at 49th. 
16 and 13 in the regular season and 8 and 10 in conference. Number 11, the Vanderbilt Commodores. Ken Palm has them coming in at 66th, 15 and 15 overall. He has them projected and finishing 6 and 12 in conference. Jerry Stackhouse coming into his fourth season where the Commodores have only gotten better every year. He inherited a program that had zero conference wins the season before he got there. Last year, I thought they had a really solid team when they were healthy. They went to the NIT and had wins in Fayetteville to start the year, and they beat Alabama in the SEC tournament to end the year. They did lose their best player the last two or three years, though, in Scottie Pippen Jr., and will most likely look a lot different systematically this year. Tip of the cap to Jerry Stackhouse, though. He plays to the strengths. That isn't the style he wanted to play last year with Scottie Pippen would isolate, get to the free throw line. Remember, Scottie Pippen lived at the free throw line, camped out there. Uh, but that, he knew that was their best opportunity to win. They'll be different this year, though. I, I, it's not the system he wants to play. They'll be different. They will have a more veteran presence on it, but they will lack any kind of real pro type of player, at least going into the season from an offensive standpoint. Stackhouse said at Media Day, this will be Jordan Wright's and Quentin Melora Brown's team. I just do not see a lot of high-end NBA talent on this team, but I think it'll be one of the better coach teams in the league. I think if you polled the SEC coaches around the league and really asked them who they were impressed with from a schematics X and O uh, standpoint, it's Jerry Stackhouse. I feel like Jerry Stackhouse doesn't get enough credit. Everybody knows him as his former, uh, for as a former player in the NBA, but he's done a really good job. Hadn't made the tournament at Vandy yet, but he's got them better each year, and he deserves more credit, in my opinion. Uh, but I would not be shocked if this team was close to finishing 500 in the league late in the year. Again, like I said, I like Stackhouse a lot. Let's go to the schedule here for the Commodores. Um, where there they are, Vanderbilt. Open up with Memphis. Man, Memphis is just playing an SEC schedule. Uh, Southern Miss, Temple, Moorhead State, VCU, Wofford, Pittsburgh, NC State. Uh, a lot more challenging than some, but no, I mean, I, it would not surprise me. I think we're going to look at a total. This, this will be the team this year that looks totally different from the style of play they played the last two years, and that's because they lost Scottie Pippen Jr. They wanted to play to his strengths because, like I said, it, it gave them the best shot to win, but ultimately that's not what Stackhouse wants to do. I think this year is what he really wants to do. I'll be interested to see how it pays off for him. But again, I got Vanderbilt coming in at 11th. Ken Palm has him preseason 66th. Has them coming in at 15 and 15 overall and finishing 6 and 12 in conference. I think they may be closer to 500. Coming in at 12th, the Missouri Tigers, another new coach. Missouri, Kim Palm has them coming in at 41st, 19 and 12 overall, and 8 and 10 in the league play. New coach Dennis Gates is entering his first season in Columbia, Missouri, coming over from Cleveland State. Kobe Brown, a player's returning. For Missouri is a proven player in this league. He's probably their only proven player on this roster in this league. He can play the three and four spot, but there are a lot of unknowns. He has brought in a lot of transfers. I'm talking about when I say he, Coach Dennis Gates, he's brought in a lot of transfers that are playing up a level this year. So they're all transferring up. They're all mid-major guys. Will the competition level be too much for some of these transfers that are brought in? That's a question. It's a real question. One thing for sure is that Gates and the Tigers are going to play a lot of people just like Florida State does with Leonard Hamilton. Now, you got to remember, Dennis Gates is a Leonard Hamilton who, if you don't know, Leonard Hamilton is the head coach at Florida State. He likes to roll deep in his run. If you ever go watch him in the NCAA tournament, they're going 10 to 12 deep just to keep guys fresh. That's how Gates ultimately wants to play. This year, he may not have that luxury. I'm really excited, though, and I'm interested to see how Dennis Gates builds his team in the future. But I think this team's going to take its lumps this year. Not really because I think they'll be bad, but I just think the conference is going to be so good and you just can't find many wins. So I think eight wins for Missouri from Kim Palm's a little high. He has them higher than me. Let's check out the schedule, though. Flipping over to Missouri at a conference. Uh, Penn from the Ivy League, they'll play. Uh, Wichita State, and they play Kansas and UCF and Illinois. Gosh, they right Four straight games, if you want to include, but their last three non-con are Kansas at home, UCF, Illinois, and they play Kentucky and Arkansas. Jeez, five tough ones in a row, depending on how good UCF is. But, man, uh, three straight solid non-conference games going into two tough opening conference matchups. Again, though, that's where I don't see where Missouri gets a lot of wins, just because I think they'll be a competitive, scrappy bunch. I just don't know in this league, when they play some of these teams twice, like, Kentucky, Arkansas, and Tennessee, some of these teams, how they're going to get that many wins. But again, I have Kentucky, I have Missouri finishing 12th. Kim Palm has them 41st, like I said, a little higher than I thought, 19-12 and 12 overall and 8-10 in the league. <clears throat> Moving to 13, the Georgia Bulldogs. Kim Palm has them coming in at 93rd overall, 14-16, and 5-13 and in league play. Mike White, remember, 
was at Florida for years, right? He took over for Billy Donovan. It had been, t- been tough. Just kind of wore out his welcome. Once they didn't make the NCAA tournament on Selection Sunday there, I think he was Florida's coach for 10 more hours before Georgia hired him. But he did do an unusual thing, leave a conference rival and jump ship within the same conference, especially for a job that most would say is definitely a lesser job. Now, the state's littered with talent, but Florida has a much better tradition, much better job than Georgia. But with that being said, Georgia was really bad last year and struggled for most of the year. Had some culture issues with Tom Crean. Randomly enough, though, they're the only team in the league that returns their top two scorers. The bad part of that is both Cairo Oquindo and Braylon Bridges are not very good on the defensive end of the floor. This team obviously is further off than most, but if Mike White can establish a buy-in and belief into what his team is doing, they should should be enough for this team, and they should win more games in conference than they did last year. I mean, they only won one. They went one in 17. They can only do better. I think they will. If they improve defensively and have some unproven transfers step up, this could be a 6-7 win conference team, I think, if I'm being real optimistic. Let's flip over to the Bulldogs' schedule and kind of see what we're talking about from an at-a-conference standpoint. Georgia, Georgia, there we go. Going to Georgia, get Wake Forest at a conference, see them again. Um, Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, UT Chat, Ryder makes the tournament every now and then. An average non-conference, not great, but an average non-conference schedule. But I do think Georgia is going to be somewhat improved. They can't be much worse, but they are going to get more than one conference win this year. I'm just interested to see how Mike White builds it for the future. But again, I have Georgia finishing 13th in the conference. Kim Palm has them at 93rd, 14 and 16 overall, and about 5 and 13 in conference. It's about where I have them too. And then finally, wrapping up the league rankings, the 14th ranked team in my league, my preseason predictions here in the SEC, South Carolina. Kim Palm has them at 78th in the country coming into the season, has them finishing 14 and 15 and 6 and 12 in conference. Lamont Paris. Comes to Columbia, South Carolina from UT Chattanooga. The Mocs had success last year in making the NCAA tournament. But South Carolina is another school that in in ways just sums up taking over a new job in the new era of college basketball. You got so many people leaving the program. They're in the portal while you're trying to coach them to see if they feel like they're comfortable, if you can make them better. So they may decide to stay. They may not. Then you got to go recruit guys. Hey, do I have enough roster spots in my 13 to go bring this transfer in or sign another high school kid? You don't know. But speaking of signing a high school kid, incredible. They did, however, sign Gigi Jackson, who reclassified the 2022 class, who was the number one player in the 2023 class, according to 247 Sports. It's a big get for Lamont Paris in his first class. It's not even his first real one, but his first class. Uh, that's a great start. But to expect a 17-year-old kid who doesn't turn 18 until December to carry the weight of this team is very unrealistic. There's also not a lot of reclassified freshmen, if you go back and look, that have immediate success. There aren't a lot of those Michael Beasley that year he was at Kansas State freshman years where he just completely takes over and carries the team. Um, South Carolina has a lot of question marks to me overall, but I could see this team struggling early, but kind of coming on strong and knocking off someone later as the team gets used to each other, gels. And again, Gigi Jackson hadn't been with the team. He only arrived in in July. So imagine him getting some games under his belt. They may be a tougher out for people, especially at home later in the year. The goal for them should be to not play on Wednesday night, the first night, those last four teams in the conference playing in an elimination game that SEC for the SEC tournament. That should be their game is to not finish anywhere between 11, 12, 13, or 14th. Let's look at the Gamecock schedule at a conference, though. Play Clemson, Colorado State, uh, George Washington, Georgetown, UAB, Western Carolina, Western Kentucky. I'm sorry, not a bad non-conference slate, pretty solid. But that, that that kind of wraps up where I'm at on the league and the rankings before we get into the coach of the year, players of the year, some candidates. So just in case you missed it, just re-ranking it. I got Kentucky finishing number one. I got Arkansas finishing second. Alabama finishing third. Auburn finishing fourth. Tennessee finishing fifth. Texas A&M finishing 6th, Florida finishing 7th, Mississippi State finishing 8th, LSU finishing 9th, Ole Miss finishing 10th, Vanderbilt 11, Missouri 12th, Georgia 13th, and South Carolina wrapping it up at 14th. And I, and bef- and I want to kind of start wrapping up this preview with a player of the year who I think will win it and some other candidates that I think could also be a surprise and kind of to keep your head, uh, your uh, ears open to when you're hearing these names to potentially be players that you're in the SEC. But I, I'm, let's don't confuse this. Let's play. Let, let's keep it simple, stupid. We're going to go with Oscar Shibway, the reigning National Player of the Year. 
the uh, SEC player. He's coming back. How could you not go with the returning Naismith Player of the Year, and especially when he has supposedly an improve, has improved his game, according to Coach Cal, and his team's going to come off pissed off last year off what happened, and especially the last two years. This is a classic example of NIL, name, image, likeness, paying off for a basketball program like Kentucky. Uh, he has some deals where he can get some money in his pocket. He's doing well, so why wouldn't he have came back? Shibway and his motivated Wildcats, I think, are – are going to get Kentucky back to a Final Four for the first time, or at least they're trying to get back to a Final Four for the first time since 2015. Some other names to keep an eye on. Uh, Brandon Miller from Alabama, the 6'9 true freshman forward from Alabama, is getting raves out of Tuscaloosa, rave reviews. He could be a guy that would not shock me if he came out of nowhere and won it. Again, we talked about him earlier in our Florida preview. Colin Castleton, forward from Florida, leading scorer, returning, from, leading returning scorer from Florida, if he ends up having a good year and making the and the Gators make the tournament, Castleton will be in this conversation. And then finally, who I think is one of the be, probably the best guard in the league, the true freshman Nick Smith from Arkansas, who's projected by many from an overwhelmingly standpoint to be the most one and done type guy in this freshman class that'll play in this league this year. So I think Shebway's going to win it, but I also think guys like Brandon Miller from Alabama, Colin Castleton from Florida, and Nick Smith from uh, Arkansas are going to be some guys to also keep a name on, an uh, eye out and your ears out on. And, and honestly, your eyes, watch them during the season. You're really going to like some of these guys. There's so much talent in this league, but those are the four guys I'm keeping an eye on to be SEC player of the year, SEC coach of the year. I'm going to go with John Calipari. I think the Cats are – you can tell listening to his press conference that he likes the mindset of this team, the guys they have back, the two starters they have back, and he likes the transfers they bring in. I think it's going to be a focus group that's pissed off. It's what's happened to them the past two years, and especially how they failed in the tournament last year. I think Kentucky's going to be motivated, and a motivated, talented Kentucky team is not good for the rest of the league. But – and let's wrap this up. I think the SEC is going to get seven, possibly eight in, but I'm going to say seven right now, seven NCAA tournament bids. I think Kentucky gets in. I think Arkansas gets in. I think Alabama gets in. I think Auburn gets in. I think Tennessee gets in. I think A&M gets in. And I think Florida gets in. I think those two teams. And don't be shocked if Mississippi State sneaks in. I'm going to be honest with you. That would be my team that is probably not going to be projected to make the NCAA tournament when you look a bunch of, look across a bunch of publications. But don't be shocked if Chris Jans gets, uh, gets uh, more with less this year. I honestly think he's going to bring that talent level up to an extent. I feel like from watching him from a distance, I know what I'm going to get with him. They're going to play better than the talent they have on that roster, and they may sneak into the NCAA tournament. But, man, like I said at the beginning, I am excited for this basketball season. I think this may be the bare minimum, the second-best league in the country this year. The SEC is going to be a real fun league to watch game in, night in, night out in this league. Look forward to you to bring you that action, all the updates, all the features, segments, as we start getting into uh, the 2022-2023 SEC basketball season. We're a week and a half, two weeks out. we got some exhibitions this Saturday for some, and the season kicks in in about a week and a half. So looking forward to bringing it to you. I appreciate you joining us on this segment, this preview with us here at Mach 10 Sports. Have a great night. Keep following us on Mach 10 Sports for the best information on SEC sports.